Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. Interestingly enough, one of the major priorities of these so-called secessionists was further stealing and pilfering the land of Native Americans. The problem that they faced was that the Comanche, in particular, were no joke as warriors. They were the so-called lords of the plains. And one of the reasons why the history of Texas has been so bloody is precisely because the Comanches put up one of the most spirited rebellions and wars against these invaders and secessionists as any other Native American group. Today on American Indian Airwaves, an in-depth interview with noted scholar Dr. Gerald Horn on the counter-revolution of 1836 Texas slavery and Jim Crow, and the roots of U.S. fascism, and how it impacts Native Americans throughout the region. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone Today on American Indian Airwaves, Marcus Lopez, co-host and executive producer of American Indian Airwaves and myself, have the honor and pleasure to speak with Dr. Gerald Horn, who's an eminent historian, who is also chair of History and African American Studies at the University of Houston. He is an author of more than 30 books and 100 scholarly articles and reviews. His research has addressed issues of racism in a variety of relations involving labor, politics, civil rights, international relations, war, and the film industry. Marcus Lopez and myself have the honor and pleasure to speak with Dr. Gerald Horn on his book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow, and the Roots of American Fascism. This is Dr. Gerald Horn. Revolution of 1836 mirrors the title of a previous book I wrote, The Counter-Revolution of 1776. And in both instances, the land of Native Americans is at issue. That is to say, with regard to 1776, one of the reasons why real estate speculator number one, George Washington, rebelled against London's rule was because London and the so-called Royal Proclamation of 1763 had raised doubt as to whether or not it would continue to subsidize wars against Native Americans moving westward from the 13 colonies along the Atlantic seaboard. That, along with this suspicion that London had gone wobbly on the question of abolition of slavery, uh, which, of course, uh, enraged the slave owners led by George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, et al., uh, that helped to ignite 
the rebellion against British rule that established the United States of America. Likewise, with regard to the counter-revolution of 1836, in the late 1820s, you had a Mexican president of African descent, speaking of Vicente Guerrero, 200 years before Barack Obama, by the way, and he spearheaded the abolition of enslavement of Africans south of the border. That enraged the so-called Anglo colonists led by, once again, slave owners like Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin, who then rebelled against Mexican rule because Texas or Tejas had been a province of Mexico up until the secession led by these men who then ostentatiously affixed their names to the leading cities in the state of Texas, speaking of Houston and Austin. And then they succeeded, not least because of assistance from the United States of America, which obviously saw this secessionist rebellion as a kindred experiment, so to speak. Interestingly enough, uh, one of the major priorities of these uh, so-called secessionists was further uh, stealing and pilfering the land of Native Americans, the problems that they faced was that the Comanches, in mm. particular, yeah. were no joke as warriors. They were the so-called mm -hmm. lords of the plains. And one of the reasons why the history of Texas has been so bloody is precisely because the Comanches put up one of the most spirited rebellions and wars against these invaders and secessionists as any other Native American grouping. Uh, in that context, I should also mention the Caddo, C-A-D-D-O, who had an interlocking directorate with black people, which also helped to strengthen uh, their resistance against the, uh, the creators of this rebel nation, uh, then state known as Texas. Interestingly enough, uh, that helps to facilitate the fact that with Texas bordering Mexico, Mexico welcomed and embraced the enslaved Africans who were fleeing across the border. Thousands did so, by the way, and oftentimes they were assisted by Native American groupings on both sides of the border. What happens, of course, is that that encourages a tendency that probably would have ensued in any case, which is that Texas, which became an independent country between 1836 and 1845, also pioneered in terms of the African slave trade. The lone star flag of Texas could be found off the coast of Angola in southwest Africa. Texas, in the independent sense, was a major importer of enslaved Africans to Cuba, a major importer of enslaved Africans to Brazil. The problem for independent Texas was that it could not stand up to worldwide abolitionist pressure, that is to say pressure not only from progressive forces in North America, not least indigenous groupings, but also revolutionary Haiti, uh, which had broken away from French colonial rule by 1804 and set up the first black republic, not to mention the abolitionist forces then embedded in London. And so Texas crawled into the United States of America in 1845, where it has been ever since, although, as you probably know, there's been a lot of loose talk of late of Texas resuming its independence. Yeah, you mentioned um, very appropriately uh, about 
the um, just dynamics between the um, world geopolitics, if you will, and uh, the you're so right when you're talking about the uh, California experience as far as these these uh, annexation, civil war, and California participation within that um, with the north and dynamics with north and the south. But when reading the book, the counter. Um, Revolution of 1836 and Texas slavery and the Jim Crow and the roots of U.S. fascism. I got the impression when I read it, what impressed me in your writing, we can't go over all that because it's, it, it's, it's a compact book, by the way. But to, when, you, when you were talking about annotation, when you're talking about slavery, you're talking about these powers that are influential personalities and so on and so forth, you describe very rightfully all the indigenous nations that are not known within Texas that got wiped out. The Comanche is just part of that. You know, and many of the, just like the South, a lot of Native people within the South got eliminated because, like you talked about, this Jackson character that plotted during the administration about consuming more land and, and annexation of stealing more land. Talk about this notion of you wrote many instances when the battle of indigenous populations and many tribal entities within Texas, it's a large area in New Mexico and Arizona in which Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico was Mexico before it was all these different countries, but that set the basis, your Southern Confederacy set the basis for all your, what you're describing talk about uh, what the importance of that, the importance of understanding these dynamics where it eliminated many indigenous people, it consolidated and tried to disengage the abolitionists, trying to completely challenge Mexico as a country where the Confederacy even set up shop within Mexico. Talk about that for our listeners. Well, first of all, as your comment tended to suggest, early on in the book, I give a very dispiriting listing of the different Native American groupings who were virtually wiped out, virtually extinguished, almost extinguished from historical memory and the historical record as a result of the bloody depredations in the state of Texas. I'm afraid to say that you may be able to compile a similar list with regard to the indigenous groupings in the so-called golden state, speaking of California. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to a major path set out by the European settlers, which was to liquidate Native Americans so that they could grab the land. Now, this liquidation took a number of forms and not only took the form of war. One of the many revelations that has emerged in recent scholarship is the question of enslavement of the indigenous population. Uh, in fact, uh, this took place from the Atlantic to the Pacific, but also, interestingly enough, the enslavers, the European enslavers, just as they imported the enslaved from Africa, and also black people by way of Cuba as well, they deported the indigenous population exported the indigenous population, particularly to the slave markets of 
Turkey, Constantinople. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons why the DNA of indigenous Americans can be found dispersed widely. And this makes ever more curious the fact that even people in the United States who consider themselves to be radical or left or revolutionary but celebrate the creation of the United States of America despite it being a mastermind of mass enslavement and genocide. And that brings me to the subtitle of the book we're discussing, the subtitle being The Roots of U.S. Fascism, The Roots of American Fascism, and that is something which I'm afraid to say we're staring down the barrel of in 2023. However, we cannot begin to understand that bracing prospect without understanding this history, because a country that pioneered in genocide obviously has the gumption and the wherewithal to execute a further genocide, which is a hallmark of fascism, in the 21st century. A country that pioneered and masterminded the question of mass enslavement obviously has the gumption and wherewithal to execute the gruesome, dastardly, diabolical task once again in the 21st century. And I should say, on the class level, that you cannot understand what befell the indigenous population of North America without understanding class collaboration amongst the settlers. That is to say, being sponsored by the 1%, but I'm afraid to say the 99% felt that they had a material interest in going along with this bloody program. And so this book is not only a rather, shall we say, uh, bracing tale of history, uh, but it also, I would hope, presents a roadmap for the future so that we can avoid and our grandchildren and children can avoid the tragedies of the past that continue to shape us. And we want to remind listeners that KPFK is currently in its fun drive, and it's you, the listeners, old listeners, and new listeners that help keep the station alive, help support us uh, here on American Indian Airwaves, and help support the volunteer programmers and staff at KPFK that bring you marginalized voices that help bring you indigenous voices from different parts of Turtle Island and Mother Earth. And we are offering as a thank you item for a $100 donation, if you will, uh, the book Count The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism by Dr. Gerald Horn. It's a $100 thank you item. You've been listening to an interview that Marcus and I conducted with Dr. Horn. It's a phenomenal book. It's over 650 pages of critically important history that leads up to the annexation of Texas and chronicles the roots of fascism and how violent forms of settler colonialism 
result in the displacement of indigenous peoples throughout the region, the Comanches, the Caddo's, the Kiowas, and scores of other indigenous nations whose traditional homelands encompass that area, as well as the rise of slavery throughout what we know as Texas and and Mexico up until the emancipation of slavery in the Mexican state. There's so much more rich history there. You can pick up the book for $100. It's called The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism by Dr. Gerald Horn. You can call 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and click on the KPFK Pledge widget. Marcus? Well, Larry, KPFK Fund Drive, we're on. The fall drive is here. We want our supporters to pick up the phone, phone the number, 818-985-5735, 985-KPFK. Now, the book, I think, Larry, reading through it, we had a great discussion with Dr. Horn. But the counter-revolution of 1836 is kind of a, it's, it's a historical accuracy of what's the, these forces of not only geopolitics, which is kind of a nice way of saying, like what you said, Larry, Mexico, the early colonial and finally the nation-state of America, United States of America, this Anglo-America, this eastern seaboard, and this coast, eastern coast of California, of the eastern portion of this continent that stretched from all the way to Florida, all the way up to New England area, where the invasion took place, we can see that this particular book describes in a detailed manner, historical manner, the expropriation of land and the history of the region we call Texas, but it's much more than that. Now we can see that this is how the rulers of be, the invaders, masterminded the gruesome agony and the system of slavery. More on this later on in the program, we're talking about your donation of a $100 pledge to support not only the American Indian Airways, but this history of this country that's untold, Larry. Thank you, Marcus. And we want to remind listeners, you can pick up the book by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website, click on the KPFK widget, and select The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S. Fascism by Dr. Gerald Horn. And Marcus, we want to give listeners a uh, taste of uh, our interview with Dr. Gerald Horn on his book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. So I appreciate you bringing up uh, slavery and and indigenous peoples. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. um, For example, in the port of Charleston, in what we know as South Carolina, pre-1735, I think more Native American or indigenous men were, to crassly put it, exported 
than uh, Afro-Indigenous men being brought to the colonial territories. And so in in the book, there's a a lot of references to Native Americans that, or excuse me, to African-Americans that have Native American ancestors. And there's this historical relationship between African-Americans and Native Americans. And I was wondering if you could touch on that in the context of your book. Well, first of all, I don't want to clutter our conversation, but I should mention another book by the UCLA historian Kyle Mays entitled Afro-Indigenous History of the United States of America. And by the way, I interviewed him on KPFK uh, some months ago, and if you're a diligent user of a search engine, you can probably find that interview, because there has been this historic bond with, uh, between uh, people of African descent and people of indigenous descent. I mentioned the Caddo, C-A-D-D-O, a few moments ago, uh, but they're hardly alone. Certainly, if you venture into the history of Oklahoma, uh, you will encounter uh, a history of Afro-Indigenous relations. But to turn the coin over, and speaking of Oklahoma, I would be derelict if I failed to mention the tragic history of the Cherokee, uh, who tried to assimilate and adapt to the settler regime. Many of them converted to Christianity. Many of them adopted the dress and sartorial choices of the settlers. Many of them engaged in a kind of agriculture uh, compatible with the settler regime. However, in the early 1830s, under the uh, aforementioned regime of the villainous Andrew Jackson, they still had to embark on the Trail of Tears. And once again, what that meant was that they were subjected to expulsion, uh, moving supposedly to the land of the Indians, speaking of Indian territory, or Oklahoma, as it was called before statehood in 1907, And oftentimes they abandoned mansions and European settlers fresh off the boat moved into their mansion. But the dark side, pardon the expression, of the Cherokee experience was that they also adapted insofar as they enslaved Africans. And many of them they brought with them to Indian territory and to uh, Oklahoma. And so what happens is that during the U.S. Civil War, uh, many Cherokee leaders, I'm speaking of Stan Wati, W-A-T-I-E. There are biographies of him in profusion. Uh, They fought alongside the Confederates, the slave owners. And I think that they did not trust the Lincoln government because, of course, the Lincoln government, like most Washington governments, they uh, spoke in a farrago of lies. And they did not trust them to keep any of their promises or maintain their treaties. But alas, what happens is that after the Confederates are defeated, the Cherokees are made to disgorge more of their wealth to the enslaved Africans than any of the uh, so-called European uh, slave owners. And that leads to a certain kind of temporary enrichment of these uh, so-called Cherokee freedmen. But I'm sure you know how the story concludes. Approximately 100 years ago, there was the Tulsa Massacre. Tulsa, Oklahoma, to be sure, where many of these Cherokee freedmen, black people, had their wealth plundered, pillaged, and stolen uh, by settlers and were plunged into poverty. Hundreds, perhaps, were killed. They're still looking for their cadavers and their 
caskets and corpses, and that is a kind of ignominious punctuation of the oftentimes stark cross relationship between the Cherokees and black people. Talk about that, how you uh, un unweave this complicated but yet real-life story of this important time of, of, of U.S. history. Well, once again, let me reiterate and stress that I would like to think that this book also provides a roadmap for the future, a roadmap in terms of how we can dig ourselves out of the deep hole in which we find ourselves. What I mean is, is that if we are to del deliver a justice of some sort to the indigenous groupings of North America who have suffered so grievously over the centuries under the tyrannical rule of the settler class, we're going to have to internationalize this question. We're going to have to take a geopolitical position. We're going to have to take this question to the United Nations. You know, I also did a book uh, some years ago on the struggle of indigenous people of the nation now known as Zimbabwe mm. against settler rule, once again from London. And what happened eventually was that the Africans, the indigenous people of Zimbabwe, were able to internationalize their struggle to the point where there was an international conference in London whereby the parties sat across the table and were able to negotiate an agreement. Because I think part of the problem in what is referred to as, quote, Indian country, unquote, is that these treaties, which are hardly worth the paper they're written on, have been negotiated directly with the settlers who have found it useful to disregard these treaties on the slightest excuse or slightest pretense. And that was Dr. Gerald Horn on the counter-revolution of 1836, Texas slavery and Jim Crow and the roots of U.S. fascism. It is a 600-plus page book by Dr. Gerald Horn that you can pick up for $100 as a way to support us here on American Indian Airwaves as a way to support KPFK and all the paid staff and volunteer programmers that bring you a wide range of voices from various perspectives throughout the Los Angeles County area, the state of California, throughout the United States, and throughout the world. You can pick up the book by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the KPFK website and click on the KPFK widget and select Dr. Gerald Horn's brand new book. Here on American Indian Airwaves, we are one of the few indigenous radio programs in public media throughout the communication system in the United States. Uh, we continue to help uplift marginalized indigenous voices every week here on American Indian Airwaves. We interview folks that you won't, that often are ignored and do not get interviewed even in other public media stations, let alone private corporate media, which is highly monopolized and very discriminatory, if you will, in terms of how indigenous peoples are reported on and how their issues are covered. And here on American Indian Airwaves, we bring the people to you 
not only on the radio uh, on the radio program, but also in the podcasting realm. And there's over 30 million podcasts to select from right now. And even in the podcasting industry, there are very very few indigenous or native produced and native operated podcasts. And so the what we do here on American Indian Airwaves is a tiny little wedge in this vast mediascape, if you will, where we get to bring to you, the listeners, whether it be here on FM 90.7 KPFK or out there on various streaming platform, podcasting platforms, we bring you indigenous voices. We bring you the indigenous peoples that are on the front lines doing the work and that is why we talk to them and why we help uplift their voices here on American Indian Airwaves. So we want to ask you support KPFK, support the work we do here on American Indian Airwaves. Pick up the book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. It's a $100 thank you item. So you can pick up the book for $100. There are other premium items that you can pick up. KPFK t-shirt for $50 or a mug for $50. These are just ways that you, the listeners, can help support KPFK, which is 100% listener supported. There are no corporate underwriters. There are no pay, no commercials. There are no advertisements. There are no large corporate or uh, corporate grants that fund the station. It is 100% listener supported, and we ask that you continue to support KPFK. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the KPFK website. Click on the pledge widget. Pick up Dr. Horn's brand new book for $100 or another premium item of your choice. Marcus? Hey, Larry. That was a good thing you said for our listeners because they might not understand where we're coming from. It's the frontline fighters, the on-the-ground grassroots fighters issues that the um, regular public and NPR and many other outlets, obviously commercial outlets, um, will, will not air, not going to air some of the programs that we have, Larry. That just... That just common to our platform of the American Indian Airways, known the one of the longest programs. Um, besides, you know, people like maybe Hoopa Creely or some other, you know, Mohawk up in Canada, some of the other radio stations that focus on Native people. But yet, here on KPFK, it's the largest concentration of Indigenous people within North America outside of Mexico City. And uh, we broadcast information because a lot of the people within living in L.A., for example, in Southern Cal, are not going to get this information. They don't live back home or they visit back home, maybe very periodically. But whether it be pipelines, uranium, whether it be the frontline fighters of lithium, or all these different issues we're talking about, the combating the stereotype of California missions and the indigenous people in California, and all this is go that we air that and we air that because like Halani K. Trash talks about um, that we're, we're, we don't address the question of and we don't use Native people for cultural prostitution. We air our guests and these issues on the frontline fighters 
and it's a different little rub in it, Larry. I'm going to give a different little rub. We need your money. The station does. We need those pledges to fundraise because democracy is for sale. For example, the right wing. And I say that it should be for sale, but within Congress, within the media waves, you know, the, the media money and the secret hub of the radical right is, suffice to say, is live and well. American Indian Airways, a lot of folks in KPFK, they don't go mainstream, Larry. They go to talk to, address the question of the truth and the social movements. And like members of the Council of National Policy have worked in concert with affiliates of the Croc Network to advance the goals against health, education, and welfare, which are under attack for short-term profits. And at the same time, individuals like the Salem Corporation and the Wildman Family of America Family Association and Mike Pence, emerges the vice president of the American Family Association, are these media outlets, right-wing media outlets, which they've organized in order to consolidate radio, TV, and print even, in order to create an environment of hate, disinformation, and supporting. And that's why this book is so timely. Fascistic tendencies, if not outright fascist tendencies, like my relatives in the Second World War fought against Nazism and fascism. And how dare the American public put up with it, these fascists and Nazi groups. And then in turn, our relatives have died in that so-called great generation. But see, suffice to say, Larry, that this new wave of fascistic media is that we're against. So when you pledge KPFK, you're not only pledging to a station. Sure, we need the money. Sure, we need money in order to keep the station going, to keep that vast amount of blasting out of our radio signal to point conception to the Mexican border and also support the infrastructure of the Internet and so we can continue these programs and other Margaret's programs. We can continue other programs, Jerry's programs, and all these other programs that too many to mention, all we ask you to pick up the phone. Phone 818-985-5735, 818-985-5735-818-985-KPFK. One of the only stations in Southern California that are part of the Pacifica Network, but yet they're asking for, and this is very timely because a lot of bills are coming in and we need to pay them and that's the truth Larry and then American Indian Airways is grateful and we've been in line and we've been supportive and the station supports us as we support the station in order to get an American Indian Airways the frontline fighters hemispherically within our discussions and this book Dr. Gerald Horn's book is one avenue in which you can support us. We talked about the Zapatistas. We talked about the Mapuches. We talked about them in Canada. We talk, talked about when the Pope visited Canada. We talked about missing and murdered indigenous women in LBGT communities. We talk about all that here on American Indian Airways. And these are hard, 
heart issues, hitting issues, and what you ask you, our listeners, you, you can support us by individually pledging. Also, take your organizations, your church group, your social organizations, your you know your your groups within your different reservations, or Southern Cal, or nationally, in order to click on kpfk.org, look at the fund drive, and pledge here and support American Indian Airways. Larry? Thank you, Marcus. And we want to uh, go back to our interview with Dr. Gerald Horn on his book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. It's a 650-page-plus book. It's a phenomenal read. You can pick it up for $100 by calling 818 985 KPFK 818-985-5735 or visit the kpfk.org website, click on the KPFK widget and select this book as a thank you item for $100 or another premium item of your choice. And now back to the interview. Thank you very much for that because this is what, when I read the book, all of it, that um, it poses more questions at the same time, it, gave, it gives you what you kept repeating yourself, and that is a roadmap. Well, one of the things about roadmap, you might um, get, you might have one junction, and you kind of go in the wrong direction as another junction. But yet, this book in itself is a rich material, as you articulate certain points of history and individuals. It goes on to the individuals that are the obstruction of liberation and at the same time collaborators with liberation of different areas and where Mexico played a pivotal role within that and that because of the Mexican-American war and because of the different treaties that what you said haven't been have not been is not the worth of paper they're written on but yet this mechanism what do you see in the future, when you talk about the internationalization of these issues, we once again try to go to the United Nations, indigenous people, and have different caucuses and whatnot. What is so important about this history that we're talking about, this one book? What do you see as this roadmap? UN, do you see the, the native peoples of, of the Americas coming together and making a declaration? Uh, like we have the uh, the Declaration of Rights Indigenous Peoples. What's your vision? Well, let's start there, and let's also mention the uh, Treaty Council. Uh, let us mention also the various efforts by Indigenous populations to take their struggle uh, to the international uh, community. This is not something that's necessarily unique uh, to the Indigenous population of uh, North America, it's something that you've also seen in the indigenous population of the Americas generally. Uh, listeners should know that as we speak, I'm reading a new book by Caroline Dodge Pennick on Savage Shores, How Indigenous Americans Discovered Europe. It's about how from the beginning of the invasion of this continent, you had indigenous people who were dispatched to European capitals to lobby against the incursion onto their soil. This happened for hundreds of years. Uh, this happened for centuries. And 
what's striking is that it had some impact, although obviously it could have had a, a more positive impact. But I think that our ancestors have also created a roadmap. Uh, we need in this world of supersonic transport and instantaneous communication through the Internet and the establishment of the United Nations headquarters on Manhattan Island, we need to take advantage of all of those factors in order to put pressure uh, on the settler government uh, in Washington, not to mention its companion settler governments in places like Austin, Texas, and Sacramento, California, because I think that that is an essential part of our ongoing struggle. Dr. Hahn, you mentioned this notion of uh, this North America and the world. Different authors come up with the uh, idea that United States of America is different, you know, similar to Canada, similar to New Zealand, and similar to Great Britain or England did, is that United States is not a country, its nation state is not a country unlike, for example, like China, one civilization. It was created, and this is what I got from your book, the, um, the fact that it was the only nation state, Australia, Canada, United States, and New Zealand, that uh, had a, eliminated its people or attempt to eliminate its people in order to create its own state, its own apparatus in the image of their own nation that where they came from, a nation of immigrants, you might say. How do you take a look at that? Do you, do you, do you, do you um, akin to that notion about this really this country is not a country of word like any other country, but yet country where they eliminated, exterminated peoples in order to get territory? Well, sure, that is precisely what was attempted. And once again, we should also study the lesson of failed settler regimes, as noted, the French in North Africa and Algeria had incorporated Algeria as a so-called province of France, just like Hawaii has been incorporated as a so-called 50th state of the United States of America. But what happened was that the Algerian forces were able to uh, mobilize and organize in order to repel the dastardly plans of the Parisian colonizers and therefore established their sovereignty by 1962. Uh, likewise, there was an attempt by the British in East Africa to establish a settler regime in Kenya, East Africa. If you're ever able to visit Nairobi, the capital of this independent African state, uh, you will be surprised by how temperate the climate is. Unlike West Africa, for example, Nigeria, where you had British colonizers, but not necessarily a settler state, but Nigeria had the kind of weather that was not agreeable to the British, unlike uh, Kenya. But in Kenya, the Africans were able to mobilize, were able to establish uh, solidarity uh, with the uh, black people in North America, and in fact, in the Caribbean as well, and were able to defeat settler colonialism. So settler colonialism is not necessarily an eternal phenomenon. I think it is still possible to discuss credibly the defeat 
of settler colonialists in North America. But once again, it will involve a major global outreach and mobilization. And that was Dr. Gerald Horn on his book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. You can pick up the book as a $100 thank you item, a way to support us here on American Indian Airwaves as a way to support all the volunteer programmers here at KPFK, as well as supporting the station. Uh, by donating $100 and picking up the book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. You can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website and select on the pledge widget and choose a premium item of your choice for that specific dollar amount as a way to say thank you. And Marcus, we've been talking about, uh, to use the term, media colonization and how in the United States, you know, in every media industry, whether it be the legacy media companies or traditional media or new digital media or even the computer information technology industries, and they're all heavily uh, integrated with each other, but they're also highly monopolized uh, and oligarchy industries. And because of that, right, we are seeing a greater intensification, as you were saying, as uh, fascism, media owners, and, and those kind of ideologies that are associated with fascism, you know, emanated out and reported on in, in very uh, authoritarian ways. And, and throughout that, indigenous peoples are marginalized, are erased, are invis- invisibilized if you will, which is a form of genocide, right? The the media erasure of indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations. And so the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves is part of uh, KPFK and, and public media, which is very, very small in the larger media scape, if you will. Private media companies just uh, far surpass uh, public media in in general in the history of the United States and even presently. And that includes online as well as in the podcasting industry, which has also become highly monopolized over the last four years or so. And so for the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves and bringing frontline indigenous voices, uh, bringing even indigenous academics that are hard, uh, marginalized in the United States. We are a tiny pocket of resistance in the media scape, if you will. And so that is why we talk to people that do the work at the grassroots level is why we bring these marginalized voices to you, the listeners, whether it be on radio, on KPFK, FM 90.7, or you, the listeners in the podcasting uh, realm, if you will. We are just a small little pocket of resistance and we bring you the voices that you won't hear in the mass media or digital media landscape. So we ask you to support the work we do here at American Indian Airwaves. We ask you to support all the volunteer programmers here on KPFK. You can pick up Dr. Gerald Horn's book, 
For $100, it's titled The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. You can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website. Click on the KPFK Pledge widget, pick up the book for $100, or peruse through the menu and select another premium item for a specific dollar amount as a way to show your support. Marcus? Larry, this is so true, what you're talking about. And I want to just remind people that within our society, American society, what, what um, it was so enlightening to listen to Dr. Horn talk about the expropriation of land. That's a fancy way of saying they stole the damn land, okay? And then they turned Texas and slavery, that's an example of the Confederacy in the South, the relationship with that, and within the rest of, of the expansion of this empire that we live in. Now, the, he doesn't hold anything back, Larry, which is, is incredible. you got to read the book. But it, where the European settlers, through wars, enslavement, exported and deported to slave workers, and I thought it was fascinating, Larry, in the sense of to Turkey. And then this mass genocide is a background of fascism staring down the barrel and understanding this country as never before. Larry, we talk about this control the right wing and the last 20 to 25 years combating even the, the, the vision of KPFK but to the right wing, the local newspapers disappeared within this period, and the uh, the Crop Brothers, the Devos family, the right wing legislation of the Democratic candidates, the Electoral College, which they lost because of the development of their networks. And I want to speak to the, all the union leaders out there and even indigenous union leaders out there, because there are a lot of them. And we can see that these right-to-work states are these particular states that lobbied, and they're doing the work of these right-wing in order to make those states and growth of the Rust Belt to make them right-to-work states back again. And we can see that the, the, mid, the basin area, as well as the Rust states and well the South, are these new right-to-work laws. And, and they're working on it every, every time we speak. Our effort, and they even classified since the Standing Rock, Larry, uh, we covered, even classified those people that are defending their treaty rights and defending their land as terrorists in order to get legislation, in order to make it illegal, in order to stand up for the rights, stand up for treaty rights, stand up for sovereignty of indigenous peoples. And we can see that this is the horizon in which the programs here on KPFK and programs like the American Indian Airways and other programs are so vital. And we provide this to you, our listeners, and we really want to thank our listeners for their pledge by phoning 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Go to the website, kpfk.org, and whether it be individuals or groups, because we know that many, many times 
individuals, money short, wallets are empty, but put your wallet where your ear is. We want to ensure that this KPFK, the American Indian Airways, that we were in tandem just trying to speak the truth, right? In order to tell you, the listeners, that we appreciate you. And that's why we try our best. Larry and myself go backwards to trying to get this information, get these interviews, just like we did with Dr. Horn. Talk about these books. Talk about the history, because if we don't understand history, Larry, we're doomed to repeat it. It's so true, Marcus. And you know what I really appreciate and, and enjoyed about Dr. Horn's book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. Fascism, is that he centers uh, uh, throughout the book indigenous peoples of the land. And he tells that a very detailed and complex story it, it related, right, to the formation of what became Texas and also the changes of Mexico and even how Mexico came to be and the those geopolitical dynamics even beyond the US Mexico region right to Haiti to France and 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 other uh, nation states around the time and and he does just a very thorough and detailed job in in uh, in telling this very complex story and and the interrelationality of all these moving parts and that's why we you know we wanted to reach out and we did reach out and we did talk to Dr. Gerald Horn because we l- read the book and we understand what he's done in terms of his research and his scholarship and and the kind of story that he tells in the book the counter-revolution of 1836 is not common knowledge it's not commonly taught i want to interrupt you i want to interrupt you because you're so right and this thing about would you say that this particular book and this particular history is something that the general population does not know or these the powers that be they don't want us to know. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we have the honor and pleasure to interview Dr. Gerald Horn. And we're going to play uh, another final segment, if you will, of our interview for our program today here on American Indian Airwaves. And we want to ask listeners to continue to support if you're a new listener by chance uh, whether it be on fm 90.7 on radio or you're a new listener on the cape and the podcasting realm we want to ask you to support the work we do here on american indian airwaves support the volunteer programmers of kpfk support the work that kpfk has done for more than 65 years in bringing marginalized voices just like we do here on american indian airwaves pick up the book it's a phenomenal read for a hundred dollars the counter-revolution of 1836 texas slavery and jim crow and the roots of u.s fascism by dr gerald horn call 818-985-5735 818-985-KPFK or you can pick up the book by visiting the kpfk.org website click on the kpfk widget select the book for $100 or look at the other menu uh, premium items on the station's website and select another premium item or a different premium item for that specific dollar amount again 
KPFK, public media, 100% listener supported, no corporate underwriters, no grants, no foundations, just you, the listeners, support the work that we do here on KPFK. So please continue to support us. The moment of silence is over. And that was Dr. Gerald Horn on The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. It is his newest book that you, the listener, can pick up as a $100 thank you gift in support of the work that we do here at KPFK, along with all the volunteer programmers. You can pick up the book by visiting the kpfk.org website, or you can become a monthly KPFK Sustainer Circle member by agreeing to make a monthly dollar denomination of your choice. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest, Dr. Gerald Horn, and a special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Chains in a rhythm of resistance, we still fight for our lives. In this war that never ended, we've outdrawn your lives. Let our actions speak when they ignore our words. For all the After all the lies and the empty promises, we take a stand on the land that you tried to bury us. For all the pain and all the suffering, we take a stand. We take a stand. We sleep caged against our fears. What we've been torn Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over